Welcome to the Rock of Bay County, Florida, where our vision is to be a multi-generational gathering, moving as one body to bring the glory of Yahweh to this beautiful county and to all the earth. We hope you are encouraged and blessed as you listen to this message. I'm going to shift course this morning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, really I wanted to kind of tie a bow on what we spoke about last week and reading the Bible and, and really how, how that can challenge us. And, and, and that sounds so basic. And if it does, it, it kind of is basic, but it'll challenge you if you go back and listen to what was spoken. But I, I feel so strongly this morning that this, the word that he has on this house today is hunger. Everyone that's come up here has talked about hunger, has talked about hunger and thirsting you know she she brought up Renee talked about um the royal priesthood and being set apart that peripoesis mentality one belonging exclusively to another and I just I I feel like there's there's I feel like if there is an issue in the entirety of the church and the entirety really of our world is that there is such a hunger issue it's not that we're hungry, it's we're that we're not hungry. There's so many things that are right in our face that we can feed on other than his faithfulness, other than his word, other than the kingdom of God. Most of the scriptures and the things we read about in this book are, are based in a time where there was no other options. And when we allow the conveniences of today to take the place of the hunger that's supposed to be there, we get very complacent and we get very okay until disaster hits and it produces a hunger for a little bit and then, then, then we're okay again, everything's fine and I just get back to this like just steady as she goes, just go to church, raise my hands to feel good, I might read the Bible every once in a while, I might think on Yahweh every once in a while and I just... Same thing, wash and repeat, wash and repeat. And I, I was brought this morning back to that moment after the hurricane. And I'm not talking about the things we did after the hurricane. I'm talking about the heart that was produced after the hurricane. You remember that? Who was here in that time? You remember the first time we came together can I give you my perspective on that? Eva and I were six months into this thing, I think, to saying yes to the call of Yahweh on our lives. Six months in. <clears throat> and we were laughing about this the other day. We had a trip planned. Uh, we went to Disney World, I think about a month before the hurricane hit. And I remember right whenever I got seated in this place, I was talking to Eva. I was so nervous about speaking and just how this whole thing's going to look and what's it going to be like. And I just, I just told her, I was like, I want to get some of those beginning jitters out. So I just kind of know what this is going to be like. And I kept putting this idea on that date of like, when we get to go to that Disney World trip, it'll be cool because it'll be a break. And, you know, we'll be six months in. We'll kind of feel and know like how this thing's going to go and what it's going to be like. And I'll feel like I'm a little more established established and settled and it'll be good I was so far so far off the mark on that one so we come back from our little oasis trip there in Disney and get hit in the face with a hurricane and Eva and I genuinely sat there and thought 
what was the point of all of this? Why did we say yes to walk in this thing for six months, have everything annihilated, and then be like, well, that was good. And so we sat up and we, we, we said, uh, you know, where do we go? In fact, some of the people that were, um, that were a, a part of this thing, uh, well, Apostle Aaron has said it himself, because I'll tell you, he told you this, but he sat in a car with me and he said, this is a moment that if you need to tap out, you can tap out right now. No one would blame you. It'll be okay. You know, it, maybe this is just... The time. Not that Apostle Aaron doesn't have faith, obviously. He has probably more faith than I have in my pinky finger. But what I'm saying is in that moment, he was looking out for me, Mark, in the natural at that time. And he just said, if you need to bow out, this, this is okay. We'll, we'll cover you. And Evan and I literally sat there and just, oh, if I go back, it's like PTSD. But we sat there and we, we, we genuinely assessed one thing, and that was the word of God. We said, I don't, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know if there's going to be five people here. I don't know if we're ever going to have this building. I don't know if we're going to just buy some land somewhere else. I don't know what this is going to be like, but I know that I have not been released from the word of God on my life and I cannot because a hurricane came give this whole thing away I can't do it and so we just put out a little Facebook message and said hey we're going to have service I think this was two weeks after the hurricane hit it's the, the set we missed a Sunday it was that next Sunday and we had no idea who was going to come and I'm just so stirred because I remember that feeling of all of us coming together and just seeing people one by one show up and just like my heart and my soul being restored, not because of people, but just because of the heart that was starting to take place right there in that moment. And we didn't have it figured out. We had a long, long way to go. We still have a long, long way to go. But I do not ever want to escape that pole barn feel. I don't want to ever escape that sitting out there with nothing feel. I don't want to ever escape that service Jeff and I were just talking about where we're sitting under the pole barn surrounded by debris and Yahweh starts giving me this word about debris being taken out of our lives and this truck comes out and just starts taking debris and putting it in and we all rejoice together I don't want to miss the authentic powerful amazing thing that comes from a, a time where everything kind of gets stripped away but it's not going to be, that's not sustainable. And I don't want it to always be a disaster that has to produce the hunger. I want to be able to go back to those memorial stones and say, man, his word is, is, is far more than enough. I want to be able to touch that thing and say, I don't need disaster to strike in order for me to be hungry for him. I don't need disaster to strike to see the power in who he is in my life. I want to be hungry. The Bible says, Yeshua said, that those who hunger and thirst after my righteousness will be filled. But it's, it's us who hunger and thirst in order to be filled. And sometimes I think that we, we make this a condemning thing and it's supposed to be a spark. Spark. 
It's supposed to be something that just stirs something within us and says, man, I'm not hungry. Bill Johnson uses a great analogy, which he's like the king of analogies. You hear me use analogies. If it doesn't involve Frank, Leo, or Mila, it probably has to do with what Bill Johnson says. But he's talking about how you diagnose it. When, when, when a child is sick, you're, you're, you want to know if they're hungry and thirsty. Because if they're not, there's a problem. That's a big, a big indicator that something's wrong is that when a child stops being hungry and thirsty, and I feel like for us, it should be an indicator of like, you know what, I, I, I'm not hungry. Like to be honest with yourself and say, I'm not, I'm not hungry for the word. I'm not hungry for worship. In fact, I feel like I'm hungry for a lot of things in this world. I just, it's just straight up, that's just how it is. I'm hungry for the politics of this world. I'm hungry for the entertainment of this world. I'm hungry for all of those things and they come so easy and natural because the hunger and thirst of the kingdom is an unseen thing. All the entertainment, all that kind of stuff is not bad, but when it takes the place and it makes you not so hungry for the kingdom, it's time to set those things aside and say, one thing have I desired of the Lord. It's, it's, it's time to take those things out of your life and to truly seek completely and wholly after him. In our reminiscing about this, Eva brought up this scripture that I had preached on a long time ago, and it's it's. Matthew 6, verse 33. And this is out of the Passion Translation. It says, so above all. Anytime that the Bible says above all, it means all. It means to really think about that. So above all. The other time I think of it saying so above all is when it says to guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. But so this says, so above all, constantly chased after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of, this, of itself. One, there's one thing that I seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other things will be added to you. It means that we have to have a hunger. We have to have a thirst for him and his righteousness. We have to constantly be tilling that ground of our heart in order for all of these things to be added to us. If we're focused on that and not the one thing, these other things, it's, we're, we're acting on our own account. I'm stirred this morning about, about a story, and we're going to get into this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, uh, Psalm 63. We're going to read it out of New King James Version. I want to give you some context, and then we're going to read it out of the Passion Translation, and that'll be it, because Michael, Paul, and Renee took all my time. It's messed up. Just kidding. I love, I love, 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 and this is what we're going to do this morning is that the kids are being anointed because they called it a, a Bible experience. They're going to experience the Bible and how oftentimes we read the Bible but never experience the Bible, right? Like we never are able to really put ourselves in there. Oh, it's David. 
you know, he, he's king of Israel. It's David, the man after Yahweh's own heart. It's David. That's, that's, that happened all this time ago. It's, you know, these, it's Abraham, of course. You know, it's, you know, it was different times. You know, it's, that's, how, that's what he was called to. It's just words on a page. It's just good Bible stories. It's stuff you learn in children's ministry. But if you go back and you can put yourself in that moment and realize that you currently are living in biblical times, and he's calling you to biblical impossibilities and to represent, to represent his son here on earth. If you, can, if you can realize that, then these words become way more powerful than just words on a page. I told you last week that my, my goal has been, and I've been doing it this week, is pushing myself to when I wake up in the morning, I read the word. And before I go to bed at night, I read the word, the Bible. Well, that's religious. No, no, it's not. Because see, your kids, if you let them eat whatever they want to eat, they'll grow up eating Twizzlers and cookies. You know? So when, when there's immaturity in a situation, if you don't do anything about it and you just let it go, they won't know what to, what to do to, to feed themselves. But if you'll put some discipline into the situation and you'll say, look, no, we're going to eat dinner. No, you're going to eat lunch. No, we're not going to eat cookies and Twizzlers. We're going to eat this. We're gonna, we're, this is how you should eat. This is what's going to be good food for your body that will sustain you, that will make you healthy, that will grow you. It's the same thing to sit here and say, that's why I'm getting up and reading the word because I want to have a hunger and a thirst for the things of the kingdom and the impossibilities that are found in this Bible so that when this day comes, the day of trouble, I'm not swayed left and right. I'm not unstable in all my thinking and all my ways. And I'm not seeing what this leader has to say and what that leader has to say and this politician and that politician and this party and that party, this prophet, that prophet. I'm not not back and forth swayed by all these different words because I'm rooted in the foundational principles and truths of his word. So it's discipline. I'm feeding on these things of the Bible because I want to be hungry. Right? See, in the natural you eat, you get filled. In the spirit you eat, you get hungry. So if you want to be hungry for biblical truths, if you want to be hungry for the Bible, if you have assessed yourself and you say, you know what, I'm really not hungry I'm really not thirsty. Uproot some of the things that are filling you currently because something is filling you and start to seek after him. Above all else, seek the kingdom and watch a hunger be produced. Psalm 63 says this. Sorry to get all hyped on you. I'm good. Whew, deep breath. Psalm 63 says this. It's titled, The Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate, you in, I meditate on you in the night watches. Whew. 
because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. David is, is notorious for writing the most beautiful things in the midst of the worst circumstances imaginable. And one of his, his trademark sayings is, quiet my soul. If you ever see David start to write, what he writes about is initially about how, glory, how he's giving glory to Yahweh and who Yahweh is and everything about how he hungers and thirsts for him. And then he usually follows it up at the end with pro- prophesying out of that heart. So he starts with all this thing. He starts with, oh God, oh Yahweh, you are my God. All right. Time for context. There's, this is where I want us to kind of insert ourselves into these moments. So this, this Psalm 63, it's debated as far as like biblical scholars of when this takes place. It, it's either during the time, you've heard me speak about the, the ephod and the sword, when David's running from Saul, he comes to a, he comes to a temple with a priest named Ahimelech. I was telling you about this the other day. A priest named Ahimelech, and he, and he goes before this priest, and he says, and he's, he's freaking out. And the funny thing about this is that not that long before, there's this moment of David and Goliath. Now, there's obviously a lot of time in between this, but the, 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 the um, comparison of the two Davids, so to speak, is mind-blowing. So, Bold David's running from Saul. He's anointed, he's called as king, but he's not currently king. He's running from Saul. He goes to this temple. He finds Ahimelech and he says, Is there in, do you have a sword or a spear? Now, the funny thing about that word usage is that that's the same words he used to slam Goliath when, he, when Goliath started to make fun of him. He said, you come with a sword and a spear, but I come by the name of Yahweh. But in this moment of weakness and freaking out he goes is there no sword or spear and and Ahimelech says there is one sword here it's Goliath's sword and it's behind the ephod not crazy Mike it's behind the thing that later on in David's walk represents his separation from his moment his day of trouble so he literally has to reach behind the day of peace and separating himself to grab something that he used to kill a past giant. And he says these words, he says, bring it to me, there's none like it. So he gets the sword and he runs, and after that, a man by the name of Doeg, who is Saul's uh, commander, comes in, bloodthirsty guy, He kills, the Bible says, he kills 83 men wearing an ephod, including Ahimelech. Now there's one that escaped, his name was Abiathar, and that was Ahimelech's son. You with me? 
I know a lot of weird names, but Ahimelech was the priest David came to. That is, Abiathar is his son. Abiathar grabs the ephod, escapes this, this, uh, this massacre, and runs to find David. Now, I don't know about you, but if this guy made a stupid decision that killed my father, he made his bed, he can lie in it. But Abiathar knew the call on his life, and he knew for this moment I came to this hour. He quieted his soul. He grabbed the ephod. He chased down David. He finds David, and he says, I brought the ephod. And he said, bring it to me. There's none like it. He shifts, and Yahweh in a moment delivers him in the most miraculous way. Now, there's some that believe Psalm 63 was written in that exile in Judah that he, when he was running. I believe... Either one of these situations, the reason I'm telling these stories is I want you to see that either one of these situations are terrible situations, okay? It's either that or it's when his son Absalom is chasing him, which I actually believe this is really when it, when it took place because he mentions himself as a king. David wasn't a king back when he was running. I, I know, actually, most people believe it was that time. People can be wrong, all right? This is, I believe, when it happened. It's when Absalom, his son, who's his third son from his third wife, Meachah, or Meha in Hebrew, I believe, but his third wife, you like that? His, his third son from his third wife, the first time he's mentioned is actually when, come on, man, run, 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 run. <laughs> It's awesome. No, he's gone. You, run, Stephanie. Come on. What are you doing? It's a grease pig or what? <laughs> so Absalom, the son, third son of David, the first time he's mentioned is when he's actually, he's, it, the Bible talks about him being so handsome from head to toe, he was like the perfect specimen of a man. He had this like long hair that would grow and each year he cut it and it was this whole big deal. So Absalom, the first time he's really mentioned though and, and he gets active in the Bible is when he is killing, murdering his half-brother, Amnon, or Amnon, something like that. His half-brother because his half-brother raped his sister Tamar. Now, this is weird. We're talking about David, right? This is the family stuff going on in his situation. So he kills his brother because David didn't act fast enough. It was about two years where, uh, where um, Absalom let this fester up and get really upset about it. David didn't act on it the way that he thought he should act on it and punish his brother like he should be punished, so he murders him. Then he does that in front of all of David's other sons, so he runs away. He's ultimately restored. I'm going I'm to sum this up pretty quick, but he, he's ultimately restored back to his father. It takes a whole long time that he gets back to his father and, and everything's good, but the, the relationship deteriorates again because Mr. Absalom has a pride issue. He's basically everything David would be if David didn't have that presence thing. 
David was not the greatest guy, but he was not about hiding it. If he messed up, take me not away from your presence, Lord. You can take my my throne. You can take all the things I have, but I'm going to lay this before your feet. Take me not away from your presence. Absalom didn't have that quality. And so Absalom raised up an army to come after his own father. And the army got so big that David runs with his army out into Judah. And this is where I believe Psalm 63 is written, where his own son, who David loved dearly, if you'll read the scripture, he loved his son Absalom dearly, even though he was a scoundrel. Loved him dearly, and his son is trying to murder him and take over his throne. Now put yourself there. Have have you ever been running from your own child trying to kill you? David didn't go into the woods and have a Twitter account to scroll through and to take his mind off of things. Right? David didn't just flip on ESPN or read a book. David had no other options. And in his wilderness, he writes this Psalm 63. Let's read it out of the Passion Translation real quick. Y'all doing okay? You're a little bit quiet on me. I know it's a different situation here. But I think it's vital. Psalm 63 out of the Passion says this. O God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. With cravings in my heart that that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, O God. Daily I worship you passionately and with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. I overflow, five again, I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence. Remember the anointing is a call. For the call of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 29, talks about hunger produces dreams. There's an analogy used that when you're super hungry, you'll dream about food. And when you're super thirsty, you dream about water. And so there's this, this tie to the fact that David was so hungry that he dreamt about his, the presence of Yahweh. He was so thirsty and knew that that was the only way his life would be filled. That when he went to sleep at night, he considered himself as singing, meditating day and night. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With passion I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. Those who plot to destroy me shall descend into the darkness of hell. They will be consumed by their own evil and become nothing more than dust under our feet. These liars will be silenced forever. 
But with the anointing of a king, I will dance and rejoice along with all his lovers who trust in him. Now, notice this. I said, I started off talking about that. Those who hunger and thirst. The hunger and thirst being our, us. Us being the ones to till that, to, to produce that. It says this. In four, he says, daily I worship you. In six and seven, he says, I lie awake each night thinking and reflecting. Later on in six, he says, I sing through the night. Verse eight says, I pursue and cling to you. It also says, and I keep my soul close to your heart. I used an analogy a long time ago. I'll wrap it up with this. I used an analogy a long time ago that church, that uh, these moments should be like marrow that cause us to have a hunger for the wild, have a hunger for something different. And what I, what I meant by that is uh, early humans, they discover that we weren't actually hunters initially. Initially, we were actually scavengers. We waited uh, for there to be a, a, a kill or a, another animal, and we'd come and we'd just try to get whatever we could to survive. And that was how they did it. was hiding, scavengers, that's, that's what they believe. And one of the reasons they believe that is because they found that uh, there were big femur bones that they found in um, ruins of campfires. They believe this was the development of hunger in, in, uh, in early civilizations, that they, they learned that the femur bone within it had a thing called marrow. And what they would do is they'd put it in a fire because if you sat there and tried to break a femur bone of a big animal, that's not happening. It's so hard. So what they did is they put it in a fire, they heated it up until it became brittle, they broke it open, and they pulled the marrow out of that. And it sustained them for a time, but then they became, that, going from just being, getting the scraps and doing whatever to feeding on the fatness of marrow caused a hunger in people that made us hunters, that we realized we have to go after our own food, that it's the only way to sustain life, it's the only way to get things going is to actually become hunters. And I feel like what needs to happen in the church, what needs to happen in these times, what needs to happen when we read the word is that it should produce a hunger in us to know that I don't have the words of Yahweh for your entire life. Right? No one can speak to you like Yahweh can speak to you. No one has the word of the Lord for your children and, of, and for your life like Yahweh does. It is not my job or Renee's job to teach these kids the Bible. It's not our job to be the ones with our hands raised so that they see there are people passionate. It's your job. It's your job. It is your job to step out in your workplace and in your life and to literally be the representation of the king because I can't do that for you. And I can't do it alone. I can't, I can't, all I, all I can do in this moment is, is take the word that Holy Spirit's given to me, give it to you and hopefully whet your appetite to be seekers. And I challenge you this week, I said it for myself, I challenge you this week. If you're not just an everyday Bible reader, because I haven't been, I know it seems simple. I know it seems basic beans. Take your Bible and set it next to your bed. Set it next to your bed. Before you turn on the TV, before you do anything else, before you go to bed at night, 
eat this word. Consume it. And let your mind meditate on that word in the night hour. And when you wake up in the morning, grab this Bible and read it. And let this become truth and reality to you instead of your Facebook feed, news, or anything else in this world. Let this be the first and last thing that touches your eyes before you go to bed. It's a challenge. I've been doing it myself so I can say it to you. I can challenge you with that. Amen. Y'all stand up. David, come pray over us this morning. Send us out. Abba, we just thank you for the word of this house. We thank you for hunger. We thank you right now that you're beginning to light the spark in our hearts right now, that hunger is stirring inside of us, that thirst is stirring inside of us, that we are going to become wild ones after your presence, wild ones after your heart, not to walk into this place domesticated, but walk in with eyes of wonder and wild. So we just thank you, Abba. We, we, I thank you for this tribe. I thank you for everybody in it. I ask you to keep us safe and bless us. In your son's nature, we pray. Be blessed. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on The Rock of Bay County, please go to therockofbc.org.